Amen. Amen. Well, if you stand with me for the reading of God's word today out of James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed, and again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, when we set out to start this church six or so years ago, we were asking a, a really simple question, and it was, it was actually a prayer. Father, what kind of church do you want to establish here? What, what kind of church do you want to see here? Not merely what do we want to do, what do we feel like is natural, but Lord, what do you want to see in this time and in this place? So we weren't just setting out to, to establish an, another congregation, um, as important as that is, but we wanted and we still deeply want to be a, a family of believers who are practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. And according to the book of Acts, that happens best in the context of, of little local churches. And, and so there, there might seem like a slight difference whether to just start another congregation to, to be a certain thing or, or look a certain way and then to try to, to try to honestly and deeply follow the way of Jesus. But, but it, functionally, it looks really different. Because if you're just trying to, to start a, a congregation in a certain tradition, you just ask, what, what do Baptists do or Anglicans do or Methodists do? And there's sort of a, a, a script you, you follow and you know what to expect, and that's all good and well. But if anything comes up, then uh, any part of following Jesus seems too, too complicated or, or too, uh, too messy or, or just plain odd, then, then you just kind of skip over it and, and keep following the handbook. Uh, but if you're, if you're truly, if your first priority is simply to follow the way of Jesus as a church family, then you have to be prepared to not really fit into the neat categories as a church. And you have to be prepared for things to, to come up that are going to be uh, confusing or, or complex or, or just plain odd. And so as a, as a church, we, we felt the Lord doing something in us a few years ago around prayer. We felt like this was something he was doing. All of our leaders were feeling it. And so we began to, to follow him as best we could in, into reorienting the church around prayer. And over the last few years, that's taken shape and it's moved us to have an increased emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Our, our worship has just naturally gotten more expressive. And it's, it's even led us into this series on healing. So it's not like there's some church planning book out there that says, year six, here's what you do, you do a healing series. That is definitely what they do not say to do. But we, we find ourselves here because what the Lord has been doing in us and what we believe the New Testament leads us to do. This passage, James 5, and then the story of Elijah that it, it mentions, it stirs us up again. It makes us ask, what if we, I mean, this is crazy, what if we actually did 
what the New Testament tells us to do, right? Like, what if we put it into practice, we made it part of the routine of our church? This passage, I love it. It has this really logical proposal. It says, the prayers of ordinary people, like Elijah, have changed the course of history. Your prayers are powerful and effective as well. Therefore, pray for each other and make sure the elders are involved in praying. And healing will come. Not every single time, but you will see amazing things happen. So this little passage is the best place for us to to talk about prayer, the role of prayer in healing. Prayer is the primary way that we participate in Jesus' ministry of healing today. And this passage, I love it because it focuses both on why and how. So that's what we're going to do in in this message. We're going to look at why we can pray for healing with expectancy and then how we can pray for each other. Both uh, uh, some guiding principles and then a framework for prayer second. So this is the most uh, practical uh, of all the messages in this series. So let's pray and we'll get right into this passage. Um, Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, the testimony we just heard. Thank you for the four testimonies we've had and, and the more that are, that are coming up. Thank you that you are a God who hears and answers prayer and you have decided for some reason to fulfill your promises to us by using us in our prayers towards that end. And so Lord, increase our faith in you and increase our expectancy when it comes to prayer and healing. Show us how to do this well, Lord. In Christ we pray, amen. All right, let's, let's start at actually the end of the passage and work backwards, looking at why we can pray for others. Verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. This story is one of the great stories of the Old Testament. It's actually just a wild story. So I I encourage you later today or later this week to look at it. It's all in 1 Kings 17 and 18. But, But Elijah was this prophet of God at a time of incredible decline and idolatry in in, uh, Israel. Israel's king was a terrible king, uh, his wife was, was a terrible queen, and they led Israel into idolatry, and they set up all of this worship of the false god, Baal. And so Elijah prayed that a famine would come on Israel until they would turn back to the Lord. And for three and a half years, there was literally not a single raindrop. And then God appears to Elijah again. During these three and a half years, he can't go anywhere near the land of Israel. He's hiding out in the wilderness. Um, ravens bring him breakfast and dinner every day, like the birds bring him meat uh, and, and bread every day. It's wild. All right. I gave you that disclaimer. But after three and a half years, uh, Elijah reappears to the king and says, God, God is going to do something new. It's going to rain. But he says, here's what I'm proposing. You gather 800 plus of your prophets of Baal and and I'll come to Mount Carmel and you set up an altar for them and I'll set up my altar and we'll put a sacrificial offering on, on each altar. And then we'll each pray to our God. And Elijah says this, the God who answers by fire, he is God. 
And so the king and, and all the false prophets agree. So the prophets of Baal set up their altar and they're calling out to their God, their God hours after hours. They start singing and dancing and doing all their weird stuff. It says they even cut themselves and pour their blood onto the altar. There's no response. Elijah is mocking him with all the best like Hebrew taunts he can think of. And finally, it's the end of the day and it's dark. And the prophets of Baal have just given up. And so Elijah steps up to his altar and he calls for his altar to be doused with water. It's kind of a baller move. And then he says, do it again. And then a third time he says, do it again. So now water is covering the altar, all of the area. There's, there's a trench around it. It's filled with water. And now water is like flowing out to where all the Israelites are. And then Elijah prays simply. It's just one sentence. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then it just says, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. I mean, this is a great moment. It is a, a definitive victory for the God of Israel, the one true God, but it also shows what God was doing, that, that Elijah says he's going to turn the hearts of the people back again. He's doing a new thing. This, this has gone on long enough, and he is coming down. He is going to personally set things right again. But in this moment, the, the story's still not over because there's still no rain. I mean, after this, I call it the rumble on Mount Crumble. After, after all of this, there's still no rain. But Elijah tells the king to go and feast. Again, bold move. So they're, they're feasting on, on the food that they had stored up because of the famine. Elijah and his, his servant guy, his intern, they go up on the mountain and pray. And he, Elijah prays. Then tells his servant, go, go look at the sea. Is there a cloud? And he says, no. Six times he sends the servant out and he comes back. Says there's nothing in, the, nothing in the sky. Seventh time, Elijah prays. And the servant comes back and says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand rising over the sea. And Elijah says, run. The storm is coming. And so it rains and it rains and it rains until the famine had been long forgotten and the, and the land itself began to heal. And so Elijah's faith here is like remarkable, right? I mean, I mean, who does this? Probably none of us have, have had these kinds of prayers before. And so it can feel a little bit hard to kind of identify with Elijah in this moment, right? Well, you know what happens in the very next chapter? Elijah still can't go back into Israel. The king and queen are still trying to kill him. So he ends up back in the wilderness, like moments after this happened. And he's so angry that he begins to cry out to God and curse God, and he asks God to kill him. Like he's, he's so depressed, he's so angry, he's so burnt out, that he continually keeps asking God to just take his life. And angel's bringing him more food, and he's still just praying that he would die. And so that's why James says, Elijah was a man just like us. I mean, in one moment, calling down fire from heaven, and then in the next moment, just so upset, so done that he wants to die. I mean, full of faith in one moment, but then just full of despair in the next. Do you resonate with that? One moment feeling like I've, I've got this thing down, I'm walking the, the Christian life, I'm, I'm doing okay. The very next moment, like everything is falling apart and I'd be better off dead. This, this is Elijah. This is the Elijah we can identify with. 
He, he was not some extraordinary guy who never had doubts, who never had struggles. But what he had was a relentless commitment to prayer. He just kept on praying. And so we fast forward to the New Testament. James, it's this great book. We studied it a couple years ago. James is writing to the church in Jerusalem. And in James 5, he's giving his closing instructions to the church. And he focuses on prayer, specifically prayer for healing. And he gives instructions to the elders and then to the whole church. He writes in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So what James is saying is that the elders are, are to lead the church in a, a faith-filled expectancy around prayer and healing. Typically, most churches can't, can't rise above the, the spirituality or the faith of its pastors and leaders. And so if the pastors and leaders are really just there to like run programs and go to board meetings, the life of prayer in the church is probably going to struggle. It rarely rises above the prayer lives and the faith of its pastors and leaders. And yet, if the pastors are hungry for God's presence, if they're eager to see him move, if they're persistent and expectant in prayer, that church literally has, has no spiritual ceiling. And so James is saying that the pastors are, are to be the pace setters. They're to, they're to include prayer for healing and, and, and the regular work of shepherding. We do this as a pastoral team for, for any of our members. I've, I've literally called our pastors to pray over me when I've been sick. And so the first set of, of uh, really commandments is to the elders, and then the second set comes to the whole church. So these aren't just instructions to the pastors or the formal leaders of the church. That, that happens, and then James begins to talk to the entire church. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Pray for each other. Confess to each other. This is the phrase that the New Testament authors use to tell us that they're speaking to the whole church, one another or each other. So they say love one another. Honor each other. Pray for each other to be healed. And notice when it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, that's no longer just speaking to the pastors or elders. This is part is for the whole church. The ones who are, who are righteous, who are, who are more devoted to prayer, are going to see those prayers answered. When James uses the word righteous, he's describing a quality of spiritual life, of expectancy and faith full of the Holy Spirit. Believing that God is going to use that person to fulfill his plan on earth. It's the ones who pray the most that see the most happen through their prayers. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a formal leader in the church. But it's the ones who pray the most who see the most happen through their prayers. I keep going back to Luke 2, to Simeon and, and Anna, the, the older lady, the older fella, who are just in the temple praying and fasting and worshiping. And it's because of their devotion, they get to, to meet Jesus as an infant and understand who he is and that he's the Messiah. Because of their incredible devotion and persistence as ordinary people, they got to see things that nobody else got to see. And so that's why James is telling us why you can pray for healing. But here's the second thing, how to pray. 
So I want to give you some, some sort of principles for prayer, and then we're going to look at a, a, a framework for how to, how to structure a prayer time. But first, some, some principles. And the first one is that faith and healing go together. Throughout the Gospels and, and Jesus' healing encounters, there's almost always a mention of somebody's faith. Faith is, is playing a, a front stage role. So sometimes it's the faith of, of the sick person who wants the healing. Sometimes it's the faith of a family member or friend. Sometimes it's the faith of the person who's praying. And just so we don't think that it's, it's transactional, there are times when faith is just not mentioned at all. But the point is that most of the, most of the time, faith is involved in healing. Our, our friend Sam Storm says this, Why was faith so important to Jesus? Faith magnifies the mercy and power of God. By its very nature, faith leads us to look away from ourselves and any notion of self-reliance and confidently trust in God for every provision. Faith is a confession of our personal inability and God's limitless power. So God's not looking for perfect faith. You remember the story in Mark 9 where the father of the demonized boy said, I believe, help my unbelief. And that was enough for Jesus. That was all the faith he needed to work. And so faith and healing go together. Second thing, healing happens best in relationship, in community. It says pray for each other. It says call your pastor friends. And so healing is not a, a, a transactional thing. It's a relational thing in the scriptures. I mean, even when the, the woman who touched Jesus' robe was healed, remember how he stopped and turned to her and looked to her and asked about her story and engaged her in conversation. Jesus doesn't just heal for, for no reason, but he heals in the context of relationship. In the same way, this is a, a perfect con context for, for healing and prayer. You have the, the surrounding faith of your, your church members here. This is a perfect uh, context for healing prayer. It's why we do prayer in the back during communion in the service. Because you're in the midst of a, of a community of faith and you're surrounded by the faith of other people. And so healing happens best in relationship. Third thing, healing can be partial or, or progressive. So healing doesn't always happen all the way at once, even in the scriptures. Sometimes healing comes in stages. Sometimes it happens and then there are setbacks later. But, but not all healing is like complete and instantaneous in that moment. Think of this. You've, you've probably heard this in some of our testimonies already. But say somebody is struggling with daily migraines and then they're prayed for and they receive healing. But then now they, they only struggle with migraines once or twice a month. I mean, that's, that's still the mercy of God, isn't it? And, and then those few migraines, like the testimony we just heard, they can serve as a reminder for all the healing that has taken place. And so, so having some remaining setbacks or some things that aren't totally healed doesn't mean that it wasn't God, doesn't mean that it's not healing, but just simply that we are human and, and full and final healing is always coming at the very end. And by the way, I probably don't need to say this in this group, but prayer and healthcare are not opposed to each other. You can receive healthcare and prayer. I think everybody's on the same page with that. But medicine is a common grace from God as well. So healing can be partial or progressive. Number four, healing can be blocked by sin or spiritual warfare. That's something we see in this passage. It twice mentions confession of sin and repentance. 
And it uses the word if, so it's not saying that all, all injuries, all sicknesses, all illness is caused by personal sin. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying there, there is going to be a time where, where ongoing sin in somebody's life is blocking the way of healing for them. We are, we are interconnected beings. Our, our emotional and physical lives are closely connected. And so often if somebody is living in persistent sin, they're not going to experience a lot of healing in their body. It's not until they release that particular sin that, that God's healing power will flow unobstructed to them. And so James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. And then fifth thing, the last of these principles, some things are only healed in the new creation. All right, we talked about this last week. The secret of healing is that it's not about healing. It's about love. Whether God brings healing in that moment or later, it's all about God's love for you as a person. Very few of us need healing to to survive and to go on in life. And yet often in the stories we've heard, God brings healing simply as an overflow of his love and mercy for somebody. And so we don't promise that that healing is always going to come. We definitely don't do that. But we do promise that healing will one day come, that it'll come when Jesus returns, when heaven and earth meet and the new creation is inaugurated. Every tear is wiped away. There's no more sin and no more death. So you can believe that you one day will be fully and finally healed. It's just not, not yet, not until the end. And so we don't promise pray and you're healed. We say pray until you're healed. Keep on praying. Be persistent. Now, last thing, a, a framework for prayer. If, if you want to receive prayer as a, as a person and there's people around you that want to pray for you, or maybe you feel a burden to pray for somebody else, how, how do you actually do that? How do you, how do you get together and, and sort of structure a prayer time? Again, I've, I've got five things. It's a sort of simple five-step plan for healing prayer session. The first thing is to invite. I'm going to give you five words so you can remember it. The first one's invite. So create a, a healing environment and invite the Spirit. And what I mean by a healing environment is that sometimes we see Jesus in the Gospels when he's about to heal somebody, he'll, he'll ask people to, to step out of the room. You know, if there's too many people in the room or if there's, there's people that just don't believe, he'll ask them to step outside. Other times we see that he doesn't take all 12 disciples into somebody's house, but he just, he just takes three of them or just one of them. And what he's doing is creating a, an environment that's, that's perfect, that's suitable for healing. Not a lot of commotion, but just a calm, quiet place. And so if I'm, if I'm walking out of church, if I'm tired from preaching, if I'm hungry as heck, if I'm wrangling three boys and I'm carrying a bunch of church stuff and, and somebody asks me, you know, Pastor, I, I felt a burden. I would love to pray for you. Can I do that? I will say, yes, send me an email because I'm not going to be in a great place right now if you're praying for me. But try to create a, a healing environment where you can focus on the Lord's presence, whether it's for a few minutes or for an hour. And this is part of in- inviting the Spirit. Next, I would say begin with worship. We like to start all of our prayer meetings with worship, whether it's uh, somebody like Will or Madison leading worship, or it's just playing worship music off a phone. There's something beautiful in worship music that reorients our hearts around God. It even has a a spiritual and mysterious power of, of just reducing the amount of spiritual warfare in the room before you begin to pray. 
And then simply pray to invite God's presence. Just a real simple prayer, recognizing he's always among us. We can just say, Lord, we know you are with us. Help us to feel your presence and guide and direct our time, Holy Spirit. Our passage also says to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And anointing with oil is just a physical reminder of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's not just power in the oil. as actually saying there's power in the name of the Lord. God is the one who brings the healing, but anoint with oil as a reminder that the Spirit is with you. And so the first thing is, is invite. The second thing is ask. Ask a, a few good questions. First, ask the person what's, what's been going on, how long it's been happening, what it feels like. And don't, don't rush past this part because healing happens best in relationship and in community. But ask what it feels like. Ask what they're, what they're missing because of what they're struggling with. And the person doesn't need to give like an exhaustive history of their illnesses or, or talk for 30 minutes and then you've only got three minutes for prayer. But, but give three minutes for what's going on and then pray for 30 minutes. So ask what's going on. And then second, I like to ask, and we like to ask, what do you want? What Jesus asks, what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? And do you believe that he can heal you? And let the person put into words their own faith in the Lord. So invite, ask. Third is pray. We're not an I'll pray for you later kind of church. We're a can I pray for you right now kind of church. Even if I'm, if I'm not ready to receive prayer, I still love people asking if they can pray for me. We want to be a pray right now kind of church. Do the stuff, as, as John Wimber used to say. Don't just talk about it. But we like to pray for two things in these, in these types of prayer sessions. The first one is to pray for healing. Like, that should be obvious, but like full send, pray for complete, total, permanent, amazing healing. You, you know my stance on perspective. If you've been here for a little bit, we can pray for perspective, but don't pray only for perspective. All right? Sometimes I feel like Alan Iverson. Perspective? We're out here talking about perspective. I'm like, no, pray for healing, not just perspective. Perspective's great. Healing is greater, you know? And the second thing we ask for is for each person to feel God's love for them. So pray for healing and pray that the person would feel overwhelmed and immersed in the love of the Father. So that even if they're not healed in that moment, they walked out of there knowing that they are unbelievably loved by God. And the fourth thing is to listen. In the midst of your prayer, after, after a few minutes of, of praying for the person, listen, just pause and listen to what the Lord might want to say to you. See if any, any words or images come to mind. Maybe for the person being prayed for, even some kind of sin will come to mind and they can confess that. It's, it's forgiven and so we can, we can confess freely. There's no shame. Maybe an old memory comes to mind and healing's going to come and, and something that's related to that memory. But don't just pray and pray and pray and then say amen, but leave some space. Listen to what the Lord might want to say. I thought of the movie Hitch, a classic movie, Will Smith's finest. Hitch's advice, dating advice to guys, you remember it? Listen and respond. Listen and respond. It's good advice. We use it in our premarital counseling. It's good advice for healing prayer too. Fourth thing is to listen. And the last thing, the fifth, is to bless. 
Cam talks about this in our, our prayer training, which, by the way, we have Friday night prayer this week, five days from now. So you can think of this Sunday as like the lecture, and then Friday's the lab. You know, we'll be dissecting on, on Friday. So come on Friday night. You'll, you'll hear more training, and then you'll be, you know, in small groups where you can actually do this stuff, praying for each other. But bless one another as you close in prayer. Like, speak a blessing over the person. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize that you are completely in Christ and that he loves you in the same way that he loves Christ? You can, you can know that God has good things for you. And we are so thankful to be walking with you in this. You are not alone, but God is with you and we are right here with you. So end with a blessing. So that's five things. Invite, ask, pray, listen, and bless. I was hoping for a great acronym. That's IAPPLEBEE. So we got it. <laughs> it's a great acronym. IAPPLEBEE, you can use it if you want to like make a VHS training tape of this stuff. Go for it. Sell it online. Just out of your riches, remember your local church, okay? IAPPLEBEE. Invite, ask, pray, listen, bless. Afterwards, remind them this isn't the only time you're going to pray for them. Continue to pray for them. The work's never done. Whether there's healing or there's not healing yet, continue to walk with them. Continuing to ask for healing is not a, a sign of unbelief. It's a sign of faith. Continue to ask and ask. Sam Storm says this, regardless of the outcome, don't ever think you have failed. The degree of healing or relief is not the measure of success. Obedience is. Isn't that beautiful? Obedience, not the outcome. Obedience is the measure of success. So friends, we pray for one another because the God who called down fire in the life of Elijah is the same God who healed in the life of Jesus, is the same God of James 5, is the same God who is healing in our very midst right now. He is no different. We are, we are following him. It is not about healing. It is about God. Our, our attention is not on the healing itself. It's on our loving Father and what he wants to do because his heart is for healing and peace and relief than our heart is as well. So I want us to, to come full circle, to, to encourage us to wholeheartedly follow the proposal of this passage. The prayers of ordinary people change the course of history. Your prayers are also powerful and effective. Therefore, pray for each other that they will be healed. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you. We praise you that you are the God of healing, that you are, are still a miracle-working God, one who is with us in our pain and our suffering, who has not turned away and who has not only said maybe at the very end, but you, you invite us, even command us to pray for healing. Now, you know far better than we do about when to, to give us that healing, and yet our faith is in you, our trust is in you. And so we can ask with all the, the boldness that we can muster up and all the patient trust that we can have as well. Lord, I know there is so much hurt, so much pain, so much emotional, spiritual, physical, psychological hurt in this place. Lord, would you bring relief? Would you bring healing in all of these places? But would you also remind us of your great love for us? That you love us not because of what we've done, not because of our spiritual achievements, 
but simply because of our faith in Christ, we are joined to him and you look on us as a child. In the same way you look on your son, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. I delight in you. You are my child. And so Lord, speak that over your people this morning. Help us to feel your love. In Jesus' name, amen.